This has been a unique time, obviously, as we all know. And one of the things that my heart has just been so blessed with during this season of life has been this, what I might call, a renewed appreciation for health givers. I would kind of correlate it back to 9-11. Following 9-11, we had this just this beautiful renewed appreciation for military personnel, for those who are serving and protecting our country. And that's kind of happening right now. I might even throw out a, just a heads up, by the way, uh, next Sunday is Mother's Day, and I would trust that there would be this renewed appreciation for moms next Sunday as we look towards that. And with these health givers, um, man, I'll tell you, one of the things from some of my past, having had a little bit of experience in medical arenas, is that good doctors good nurses, good caregivers, as well as I could say good soldiers and good teachers and good police, fire uh, people with parents, counselors and all the like, they just have this intrinsic, this zealous, this tenacious, this sacrificial passion in them for people who are in, for people who are under their care. And it is an amazing thing to watch when they just willingly step into the war that is going on to try and fight for what is right, for what is best, for that which is needed and required for the health of their patients. Um, they will even step into bringing temporary uncomfort to their patient if that means ultimately for their health. And they will do it sacrificially and lovingly, and I so admire that about them. And along with that, I've noticed that when a patient will choose to maybe uh, not heed their care, to not heed their counsel, or to seek after a false solution, uh, real deal loving caregivers when that happens, they're grieved, we might even say British, they are gutted in that scenario. Um, why is that? It is because they care for the health of their patient. It is because they have this intolerance for what is unhealthy. They don't want a false substitute to what is healthy, they're not satisfied, they're not okay with anything less than what is healthy. And I'd term it this way. They are jealous people. They're jealous people. Not jealous of people, but they are jealous for people. They are zealous for they are tenacious for, they are actively on fire for people to be healthy. And I love that about them. And I bring all of that up because of this. Today, with all of that in mind, along with all that we have been studying about who our God is, one of the most intriguing terms, I think, that Scripture uses of our God is that our God is jealous our God is jealous. Exodus 20, verse 5, which we'll go to here in a minute, says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And I'll just add in here, I've been looking forward to this Sunday 
since the beginning of the creation of this series, back in early December when this whole series was coming together, and, and I knew that we had this Sunday put in here at this time talking about how our God is jealous, and it is such an, incre- an intriguing subject. It is such an encouraging truth, and frankly, I could spend an entire month on this one, uh, probably as well as I could on all of the others as well. But we only have about 40-ish minutes. And notice I put the ish in. That's what us preachers do. But uh, we're going to get at it. Our God is jealous. And to be clear on that, Scripture does not reference our God as being that self-focused, that self-centered, ugly, envious, covetous, that that resentful, uh, suspicious jealousy of Kind of thing. We're not talking about that. Know this, never has God the Father had a nanosecond of that kind of ugly, envious, covetous, resentful, insecure, suspicious jealousy of God the Son or God the Spirit. Never has God the Son had a jealousy of fit about somehow he drew the short stick in the Trinity drawing of who would come and die on the cross. Never did he have a jealousy moment that why do I have to go to the cross and God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit uh, get to watch it all or they get to sit there in their couch uh, drinking and I'm sure in heaven there is a Mountain Dew. They get to have, why, is, why do they get to do that and I have to do this? Never has that happened. And I'll just add as well, never has there been a moment where God the Spirit has somehow felt career ripped off or some kind of gender God had confused in the whole reality of why is it that God the Father seems to get all the attention? Why is it that God the Son seems to get more of the attention in the gospel plan? None of those. In fact, at home say, none of those. None of those have ever happened. We're not talking today about a jealousy of. We're talking today about a jealousy for. And when it comes to the Godhead, oh my, they have a jealousy for, a divine fire for. And I'm talking about our God is intrinsically, zealously, tenaciously, actively on fire for his plans, for his purposes, for his uh, person, for his people. So I'm just going to say buckle up because I love this subject. So God, I'm going to ask for your help right now as we dive into grabbing a hold of more who you are. We ask for your help. We ask that you would help us to see you increasingly rightly We ask that you would help us to behold you more. We ask that we would grasp you more deeply. You are a God that is jealous for your person, your plans, your purposes, and your people. Help us to grab a hold of it, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's begin. Number one, our... God is jealous for his person. If you would, please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. 
Exodus chapter 20, we're uh, here at this time when God has raised up and brought out a people for himself. They've already met with him at Mount Sinai. It is there at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 uh, where God said that he would desire that they would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a set-apart people. And then here we are in chapter 20. God then gives them a structure on how they are to live as a kingdom of priests, how they are to reside as a people set apart. And and I'm going to kind of call it here, particularly with what our life has been, that God lays out these, these ten house rules Uh, for being a people set apart unto him. I want to read the first two of them, verses 1 through 5. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 5 says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above that are as in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a what? A jealous God. We see here, uh, number one, house rule number one that God puts out, verse three, have no other gods. By the way, that means none others, none others. House rule number two, verse four, no fake images. It's like, not even in your mind have any other god besides me. I also, I'm saying no fake images. Why? Because verse five, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God. Our triune, our eternal creator, covenant maker, faithful to himself God is intrinsically, zealously, tenaciously, actively on fire for his person. He is jealous for his person. I would say it's Moses in Exodus 3 when he's before the burning bush and he asked God, he said, God, who shall I tell them sent me? And God responds to them, tell them the I am sent you. By the way, I think it's very important to note that God does not say, tell them the evolving deity sent you. He doesn't say, tell them that the figuring it out one sent you. No, 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 he says, Moses, tell them The I am God sent you. I am who I am. Listen, friends, here's the point. We do not get to choose who God is. We do not get to choose who God is. Yet yet, uh, God knows that we have this thing in us that comes out as a result of the fall that we tend toward creating our own version of God our own images of God. And the first two house rules that God puts out before us is essentially, don't mess with who I am. Don't mess with who I am. I'll add Deuteronomy 4. When the Lord through Moses warns his people, again, not to forget their covenant with him, 
not to go after substitutes of God. And God again says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And then in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord expands on his call to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your full being. And in verses 14 and 15 in Deuteronomy 6, he says, you shall not go after other gods. The gods of the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. And isn't it interesting that thousands of years later in our day, there is this common statement by the, let me take it out of Deuteronomy 6, by the peoples who are around us today that say this, well, all religions lead to the same God. Really? That's interesting. Islam claims that Jesus was not God, but he was a great holy prophet given a special message. They also claim that God would never step foot on this wicked earth. Jesus was not the one who was crucified on the cross. Mormons. They say that Jesus was a created spirit child by the father and mother in heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that Jesus is not God. And in fact, Jesus had been Michael the archangel before coming to the earth. And yet it is claimed all religions lead to the same God. Here's the thing. I wonder what our jealous for his person God would have to say about that. I would say answer number one, house rule one and house rule two. No other gods, no images. Deuteronomy four and six. Listen, I am God you don't create me. I am a jealous God for who I am. And loved one, you and I may not have a carved image sitting on a shelf in our home that we view as somehow having some kind of deity. We may not have that. But I would suggest that we have this way of carving an image of God and putting it in the mantle of our mind. Creating who we want God to be, prefer God to be, wish God would be. And that's why, since the beginning of this series, this quote by A.W. Tozer, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's why that statement is so important. Because what comes into our mind when we think about who God is matters. God is a jealous God. Jen Wilkin, when I, a couple weeks ago, made mention, she mentioned that sin has caused us to love a version of God that is not accurate. We have this thing in us that we want to shape God, make God who God we would want him to be. And yet God says, no. Isaiah 48, 11, my glory I will not give to another. Ezekiel 39, 25, I will be jealous for my holy name. And I'm going to add the picture in Revelation 4 and 5, the heavenly picture. 
where the heavenly beings declaring the glory of the Godhead, and they do not declare their own versions of who they think God is. We do not see this mishmash of the presbyters around the throne declaring, we believe that God is, and then the angelic beings coming in, yeah, well, we believe that God is, and then the hosts uh, coming in, and well, we, we don't see anything like that. What we see instead is a building chorus of heavenly beings and all of creation coming together in an increasing strength to sing, to declare, to adore the very personhood of our triune God in one single grand unity of who God is. Our God is jealous for his person. Our triune, eternal, creator, covenant maker, faithful to himself, God is intrinsically, zealously, tenaciously, actively, and on fire for his person. It matters who we believe God to be. Our God is jealous for his person. Secondly, our God is jealous for his plans. Please turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. To read a few verses here in this text, Isaiah 55, begin with verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me, and hear, and hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Go to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways. By the way, might I say, neither are my plans your plans, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, my plans, higher than yours. And my thoughts, by the way, which will carry into the next one, my purposes, then your thoughts. God is jealous for his plans. It's intriguing how we broken human beings kind of somehow we feel this freedom to be able to push back at times on our creator. Not only on our God's person, but on our God's plans. It's kind of like this. If I were God, uh, just know this, that's where things start going wrong, okay? But we do this. If I were God, my creation plan would never have allowed for angels or for humanity to possibly choose sin. I never would have done that. That would not have been my plan Or if I were God, my humanity plan would have never included a a worldwide flood or poverty or injustice or false religions or pandemics or, maybe jokingly, 
or for the Tiger Kings series. Uh, Listen, that's what we think at times. Or if I were God, my eternity plan would never include a judgment and would never include a hell. In fact, I would, in my eternity plan, I would fast pass everyone to heaven. Yeah, that's what I would do. That would be my plan if I were God. Last one, if I were God, my salvation plan, I would include everyone. Well, now that I think about it, except for Genghis Khan and Stalin and Hitler and my political nemesis, and we might all agree on this, and the New England Patriots. Um, Hey, friends, our self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy God who created time and yet lives in timeless eternity, who knows the beginning from the end, reminds us, frail humanity, that we are to incline our ears, that we are to draw near that our soul might live, and that we might understand that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Our God is jealous for his plans. Just with that, I would just add thinking of the disciples in Acts chapter 1. Here the resurrected Jesus Christ, they ask Jesus when he will restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus responds, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, can you see the, listen, these are the Godhead's plans, particularly this is the Father's plan. And uh, you don't need to know that. I'm going to add the closing verses of a book in the Bible that talks about the Lord's future plans the book of Revelation. The verses at the end include this. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him, God will add to her the plagues described in this book. Whoa. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away their share in the tree of life. Whoa. And in the city which are described in this book. When we talk about this, that our God is a jealous God, God is jealous for his person. God is jealous for his plans. He is intrinsically, zealously, tenaciously, actively on fire for his plans. And that moves us into the next thing. Three, our God is jealous for his purposes. I've noted it here. His thoughts, his purposes in Isaiah 55 are not our thoughts. But let's add another passage and some other passages. Uh, Turn to the left in your Bible. Go to Psalm 135. Psalm 135. I just want to note here for clarity, God's plans are more about what God is doing. uh, What he is doing in the timeline of redemptive history. Uh, God's purposes has more to do with why God is doing what he is doing. God's divine intentions behind what he is doing. Let me read in Psalm 135 here, beginning in verse 1. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. By the way, that's next Sunday. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Verse 5, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Take a look, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, might I say, whatever the Lord intends, whatever the Lord purposes, he does. He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Man, this, we get that, we get that. But, but I'm gonna lean into some of these verses because they, they will push us. It is he who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and his servants and who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. By the way, just go to verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. By the way, verse 14. For the Lord will vindicate his people. That's our last point. And have compassion on his servants. One can respond here to a verse like this that, uh, well, what's with this? That God gets to do whatever he pleases. I question God's purposes. I'm just going to bring this in. Job did. And Job's wife asked the same question. And if I can say, so did Abraham. And look in the Psalms, so did David question, well, God, what are you doing? The Old Testament prophets, prophets did. By the way, so did the disciples. Mark chapter 4 crossing the Sea of Galilee. They think they're going to die and drown. They turn around to Jesus. Don't you care? But we need to be careful. Listen to a quote from David Gibson, Living Life Backwards. Living Life Backwards. I've been reading it during this time we've had. David Gibson, a great read. He says this. Part to being wise in this world is learning to accept that we have only very limited access to the big picture. God is not being unkind to us by not sharing it. The point is that we are not built to understand the big picture, precisely because we live in time and God does not. This means that part of growing up in the world is learning to grow small. And he goes on. God intends us to be like children who trust in their parents to know best because they can see what the children can't see and they know what the children are not yet able to know. And here's the thing. The relationship of trust is built on the character of the parent. Read that again. And here's the thing. The relationship of trust is built on the character of the parents. If the parents are good and wise and kind, then the child who cannot see the end from the beginning has nothing to fear. And for the person of God, 
For the child of God, we have nothing to fear. Because our parent, our God, is good and wise and everything that we have been talking about. Three other passages that further this idea. Uh, you, you write them down, I will read them. One is Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 19 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. By the way, what, what, what Habakkuk is saying here is like, if the stock market dies, if my bank account is empty, I lose my job. Okay, now it's getting kind of real for us. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Why does he say that? Why does he declare that? Why does he drive that stake in the ground? Because he knows who his God is. And he knows that God's purposes are God's purposes. And whether it's rich or poor, God is his strength and God is to be praised. Another passage, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good. We like that. But it's verse 29 that tells us what the good is. That we would be conformed more to be like the image of Christ. The good isn't that we would be pampered. The good is that we would be perfected through life to become more like Christ. And let me add uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Can you maybe relate to that now? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, this is talking about what God's purposes are. Listen, friends, there is a fake gospel going on in our world, and that fake gospel says this, God's purposes are to pamper his people. That is not the case. The real gospel says God's purpose is, is to perfect his people, to mature his people, to grow them that they would see him more, that they would uh, grow in their maturity in Christ, to become conformed like the image of Christ, that their faith would show with who it is. And our triune, eternal, creator, covenant maker faithful to himself God intrinsically and zealously and tenaciously and actively is on fire, is jealous for his purpose. Not to pamper us, but to mature us, to become more like Christ for his glory and for our good. And I love this last one. Our God 
is jealous for his people. Last text I'll have you turn to, Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Our God is intrinsically and zealously and tenaciously and actively on fire for his people. How encouraging is that? We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Revelation. That our eternal God does not need you or me or us. But here's the cool thing. He is jealous for our attention. He wants us. How cool is that? The creator of the universe doesn't need you and I, but he wants you and I. And we see it here laid out for us in Psalm 78, if you will. I'm going to kind of skim the whole chapter. Let me just begin with it. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. By the way, that's really important because the psalmist is taking us back in time to things and is going to then bring it into what is now. And I will open my mouth things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell in the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might the wonders that he has done, the context of all of this is what God has done for his people. Take a look at the story. Verse five. He, God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn Verse 7, and so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn, a rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Verse 10, and yet they did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law They forgot his works. They forgot the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders. Verse 13, he divided the sea, let them pass through it, and made the water stand like a heap. And in the day, he led them with a cloud, and all night with the fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness to give them drink abundantly from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and cause waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him. Rebelling against the Most High in the desert, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they crave. And They spoke against God Saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? And they go on. Verse 24, 21. Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath and his justness. 
Fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel, or yeah, Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet, look at this, verse 23. Yet he commanded the skies above them and opened the doors of heaven and rained down on them manna to eat. Why is God continuing to go for his people? Why is God continuing to show his mercy, his love, his grace to people that are in, then out, in, then out, in, then out? Because there is an intrinsic, zealous, tenacious, active fire in our God for his people, even when they fall and fail again and again and again and again. And he caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, bringing birds that they would have meat to eat. Verse 29, and they ate and they were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. Verse 30, But before they had satisfied their craving while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Verse 35, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Verse 39, look at this. And he remembered that they were but flesh. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. And then it goes on telling about what God did in bringing the plagues in Egypt And then verse 52, and then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety. Verse 54, he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain, which his right hand had won. And he drove out nations before them. Verse 56, here we go. And yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimony, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. Why does God continue to love and have mercy for and pour grace on his unfaithful people. Why? Because our God is jealous for his person, for his plans, for his purposes, and know this, for his people. We 
we tend to see life at about five or six feet off the ground, including now, I might say. We lean towards placing our hope in kind of our earthly surroundings. We can tend to place our hope in COVID test kits or a vaccine. We'll put our hope in right governing decisions or right governing persons. Or that our kids would be able to get back to school. That our bills would be paid. That our bank accounts would be full. And yet in this season of life, might our God, might our jealous God be using sovereignly, divinely moving the times around us to bring our attention back to who he is. You see, our God is not a pampering God. Our God is a perfecting God. And he wants us to behold him. To have satisfaction in him. To have security in him and him alone. Maybe this is a time for us to sit our lives and sit our souls down to increasingly abide in his love. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. Our God does not need our attention, but our God wants our attention. Oh, how our God wants that. For his glory and for our good. Let me finish by reading this. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and from this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the lands of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Therefore be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers and to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong? and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Friends, we're not talking about being a people in the Old Testament that God is with us to go and conquer a land. We are talking about the very nature of who our God is, and this nature of who our God is in the Old Testament is the same God that is in the New Testament, and that is the God who is to be fully trusted in. And he is the God who is jealous for, tenacious for, on fire for who he is and what he is doing and why he is doing the things that he is doing. And he is tenacious for his people. Our God is jealous. Our God is triune eternal, creator, covenant maker, faithful to himself. He is intrinsically, zealously, tenaciously, actively on fire for his person, for his plans, for his purposes, and for his people. And that's who we grab a hold of. We are not talking about a bullet point list of functioning tasks. We are talking about all of who our God is and he is jealous for it. And he wants us to know him and hang on to him. So God, I ask for that. I ask for your help. I ask for your help that we would see you increasingly so for who you are. God, I would ask that you would help us to grasp increasingly in faith that we would trust in your plans. And God, along with those plans, I pray that you would help us to grab a hold of faithfully trusting your purposes, your intentions, what you are seeking to accomplish. We are the children who can't see the big picture, and yet you do. And God, in that, one of the most wonderful things about this whole idea of your jealousness is that you are jealous for us. You don't need us, but you want us. You want our attention. You want us to abide with you for your glory and for our good. And God, I pray in this time before things open back up that we might be using this time to just even consider our own hearts, to consider our own minds, to consider the view that we have of who you are. And is the God that we have on the mantle of our minds, is it the God of Scripture as you truly are? Because you are jealous for these things, we can fully trust you in every facet 
and have full hope in everything. Help us, I pray. In Christ's name.